Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. I have just really gotten into watching YouTube shorts over the past several months. And uh, I'll run across the funny videos. Um, you know, I... I I just scroll on past the other videos if, if I'm honest, unless it's a, a preacher with a short or something like that. Uh, I like watching the funny ones. And one of the funniest ones that I've come across of as of late, one, one was a bunch of sheep that were, I mean, it was like 40 sheep and they were just circling a car. And the car was stopped. It had to be New Zealand, somewhere like that, you know, where there's more sheep than there are people. But it was, it was just circling this car, circling this car. So you didn't know when, when, where it began or where it ended. It just, it just kept going and going and going. And man, I don't know why. I just, I'm, I may have been delirious. But I just laughed and laughed and laughed and thought that was the funniest thing. But, but some other ones kind of caught my, caught my eye. More than what you would think should be like this video. But uh, videos of, of little kids. I I'm talking, you know, two, three, four years old, and, and they're in a crowd, and the crowd is so pressing and so much activity happening, you know, the lights, the bells, the whistles, it's all got their attention, and, and, and these kids are just mesmerized by what's happening, and they're there with an adult, a guardian, a parent, I'm assuming a parent, and, and the, the, so much is happening to where the kid kind of gets lost in all of it, and then realizes they're lost, and they're, they're not willing to take their away from the attraction, but they still want to find mama and daddy. And so they're reaching, they're groping, and, and they finally latch on to somebody. And then they're holding that person's hand or holding on to a coat or a shirt or, or a leg or something like that. And then all of a sudden, the kid looks up. And it ain't their daddy or their mama. And the look they get on their face is, I mean, to them, I'm sure terrifying, but for me, hilarious. And I know that's probably a sin. I should commit, confess that and get that right. But, but I'm sitting here laughing and all of a sudden they, they look around and they find their, their mom or dad and, and then they run and they latch on to them. I don't know if you've ever lived life like that before, but I know that I have. To where life has been just out there in front of me. There's been a lot of bells, whistles, lights, a lot of distractions. And I know what I'm supposed to be clinging to, holding to, chasing after. And yet because of all of this other stuff, I get so distracted to where I'm grabbing for something that I shouldn't, latching on to something that I shouldn't be latching on to, chasing after something that I shouldn't be chasing after. And then when, I, when I've got it and I find a, a little bit of security in thinking, I've got it. And then I look up and I say, oops, that's the wrong thing. This whole time I've been so distracted. I've been chasing after the wrong thing. And now that I've got the wrong thing, I realize it's the wrong thing. And so what do I have to do? I have to let go of that wrong thing and readjust myself so that I can chase after the right thing. I don't know if you've ever, I may just be talking about me this morning, but possibly there's somebody else out there that's done that. And if You've done that. What do you do when you realize you've been chasing after the wrong thing? What do you do? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit 
humiliating, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's a very humbling thing when you have to, even if nobody else knows about it, there's a little bit of shame, embarrassment on the inside of you to say, man, don't you know better than that? You knew that you should not have led the world distract you again. Those little pleasures so captivate you with its bells and whistles and lights to where it took you off path. There's this thing on the inside that, that is almost like a self-shaming thing, uh, holding guilt over myself, saying, man, you, you got to learn your lesson sometime or another. Why do we so often chase after the wrong thing? You know, the, the Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 53 that we like sheep have all turned away to our, our own paths. Uh, the thing about a sheep is a sheep sometimes is distracted, can be rebellious, oftentimes leaves the path that it should be on. And the Bible says that we're like sheep. <laughs> we're like sheep. So what that means for me is I have to daily, momentarily throughout the day, make sure that what I'm chasing after is the right thing so that I don't get on the wrong path chasing after the wrong thing. Because the fact of the matter is there's going to be times to where I do that and you do that. It's not a question whether or not we will do that. The question is how long will we be doing that? And so if, if you've been with us since the second week in January, you know we're in this series of messages, Faith and Finances. Uh, I'm, we made sure that, that these two terms were uh, you know, valid in, in putting them together. For the world, the world may take finances isolated and only use their resources for the way in which they choose to use the resources, totally disconnected from the virtue that we as Christians have, which is a virtue of faith. The Bible teaches us that the just shall live by their faith. The Bible teaches us that every aspect of our life is to be done through and by faith. Anything that is done without faith is sin. Romans chapter 12, uh, chapter 14, verse 23. Faith is, is an integral part of who we are. It cannot be disconnected from any area of our life. Whether you're a student in school, whether you're a parent with a rebellious teenager, whether you are an employer to your employees, whether you're, you're retired and you're just living life, faith has to be an integral part of everything in your conversations daily and also in, in this kind of stuff like this right here. It has to be a part of that. It can't be disconnected from that. You remember Jesus has already taught us where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. There's some kind of weird string, a chain, a cord that connects our resources to our heart. Jesus knows that we probably value this stuff more than what we should value this stuff. And he wants to make sure that in God we trust and not in this we trust. And so... So he teaches us a lot. He taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. He taught us in the parable, speaking of the end of times in Matthew chapter 25. And now we'll find again in the scriptures, in the Bible, to where God used a man by the name of Paul to teach a young pastor named Timothy some more biblical, Bible-centered principles of how we can live by faith with our finances 
and ultimately one day stand before God as a good steward of the resources that he's given us. And today we're going to look at the idea, the topic, the direction of chasing the wrong thing. Because we can use money to chase the wrong thing. Money can be our thing that we're chasing after that's wrong in that moment. And so if you got your Bibles, flip over with me real quick to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is, is deep on into the New Testament now. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, there's going to be verses on the screen. You're welcome to look up there. But if you're thumbing through your Bible, the Bible is Old Testament, New Testament. It's in the New Testament. Matthew starts off the New Testament, the Gospels, Acts, and then there's some letters that are written, Romans, that goes all the way to Revelation. i tell you what you should do. You should go to Revelation and go backwards if you're trying to find it. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, because that's how numbers work. And if you'll find it through there, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. You should have noticed that I'm going to read through here verses 6 through 11. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain or an immense profit. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and remnant, King James word, it just means clothes. Let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich or have a passion, a desire only to be rich for riches sake. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. While some covet after they have erred from the faith, they've left the faith, the most important thing that they have, the greatest commerce that they've got faith and they've left it. And because of that, they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and chase after. King James says, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And here, Paul is nearing the end of his life. If you know anything about Paul the Apostle, you know that in the earlier parts of the book of Acts, we see that he's named Saul. His full name was Saulus Paulus. Somebody got hooked on this. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I've oftentimes wondered, why in the world did me and Laurie name all of our kids starting with the letter E, Easton, Eli, Emma, Grace, and Ellis, and then years later planted a church named Embrace. E means something, I don't know. But Paul the, Paul the apostle was Saul and he was a persecutor of the church and you saw in Acts chapter seven, he's holding the clothes of those who stoned the first New Testament martyr to death, Stephen. And then in chapter eight, he's persecuting the church. In chapter nine, he's got letters from, from, from the Sanhedrin to go and get more Christians and either have them imprisoned, beaten, or even killed, their lands and properties confiscated, all because they have decided to follow Jesus. He thought he was doing the right thing, but he was doing the wrong thing. He thought he was chasing after the right thing, but he was really chasing after the wrong thing. And in Acts chapter 9, the right thing caught up with him, and the right thing was Jesus. And on that path, on his way to Damascus to arrest and bind more Christians and kill more Christians, he was converted and he became a Christian himself. Years after that, Paul the Apostle, he is a, he's one who is chosen by God and sent out with the good news of the gospel to proclaim it as a preacher, as a missionary, as an evangelist, as a church planter. But as he goes, he, he meets a whole host of people. One of the persons that he met was a young guy named Timothy. 
Timothy was an oddball in his culture. Why? Because Timothy's dad was a Greek and his, his mother was accepting of Christianity, but he was kind of pulled between two cultures and two religions and, and two lifestyles. But he surrendered his life to Jesus. And, and this is what I found about Timothy. Timothy was the kind of guy that when he was in, he was all in like a lot of you guys are. Right? He was a hundred percenter kind of guy. Y'all feel that way? Hey, if I do it, I'm going to do it hundred percent. I ain't going to do it halfway. Right? And the fact of the matter is we're just going to get all real about it. There were times in my life to where I was living like trash. And so therefore I was doing that hundred percent, but I got saved. Ain't you glad God saves people, changes people, comes into your life, takes what's messed up and, 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 and radically restores and, and redeems and, and, and Timothy is that guy and he's 100% and, and he felt the call of God on his life and he surrendered to that call and now he is a, a preacher and it doesn't mean that it doesn't come with its other issues. Paul had to write to the church at Corinth and say to the church at Corinth that was already toe up from the flow up. I mean, they just had their problems and, and Paul had to say, hey guys, I want you to talk to Timothy and when you talk to Timothy, remind him that he doesn't have to be full of anxiety and fear. He's doing the same work that I'm doing. And then in the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he says in chapter one, verse seven, God's not giving you the spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. Timothy had some issues, but Timothy was a man of God, but thou man of God, Paul the Apostle, he's, he's been somewhere, he's done some things, he's experienced life, he, he's got some wisdom that is stored up through experience and also some that others have given him. And, and so now he is, as a mentor, writing this letter to young pastor Timothy and he's telling Timothy, man, if you'll just learn from this. Now, we know because we're on this side of the thing, when Paul was in prison and he's writing these letters, he might not have had the full understanding that the Holy Spirit of God was giving him words to write so that they could be shared, so they could be preserved, and so that 2,000 years ago, there would be a knucklehead preacher standing on the stage in Forest, Mississippi, preaching it to a bunch of knucklehead people. <laughs> Don't worry, I wasn't going to leave you out. <laughs> yeah. But he is, he's writing that. And, and, and Paul writes it and, and the word is true and the word is without error and the word has instruction for us and the word can change our lives. And Paul says to Timothy, you know, I want you to make sure that, that, that you learn the, the principle of being content because I, I think that, that the, the, if we look through verses 6 through 11, how he frames the very thought he's going into of chasing after the wrong thing, he says, godliness with contentment. Go back to that verse. Is great gain. Godliness, a a pursuit to mimic the character of God. Godliness. Don't, don't, go, don't get so tripped up on, on words that, that are there in the Bible and are a little more difficult for us to grab a hold of. Maybe it's because we don't have as much example set before us or, or, or maybe we don't invest enough in, in the studying of the word and we'll run across a word like that and we'll say, yeah, I know what that means. It, it means like unto God, but... We're not God, so how does this flesh itself out? You think of the characteristics of God, love, holiness, purity, righteousness, doing the right thing on purpose, intentionally, consistently. 
You think about the virtues and the characteristic of who God is and and godliness just means that I have chosen to pursue God and I want to reflect his virtues and his character and his nature through my decisions and my conversations and my business dealings and my relationships every way possible I want to do as God would have me to do. Maybe another way to, to frame that is when Jesus says, come and follow me. It's the fleshing out of following Jesus with contentment. Godliness is good on its own, but whenever you're content, godliness with contentment, contentment. What, what, is the, what does the word contentment mean? Every time I think of the word contentment, I think about a story that was told to me a long time ago uh, about, a, about a guy's a fisherman. He was on the dock. He had his cap pulled down, straw in his mouth, done for the day. He's just kicked back, chilling, enjoying the, 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 the breeze from the ocean. And a guy comes walking through, and he's, he's dressed in a suit. You can tell, you know, he's, he's decked out. He sees the guy. He goes up to him and says, sir, can I bother you for a second? He said, yeah. He said, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a fisherman. He said, really? He said, yeah, I'm a fisherman. He said, how many boats you got? I, I got one boat. Just one boat? Yeah, I just got one boat. Well, what are you doing right now? Well, we, we finished the day. I finished the day. He said, let me tell you a little bit about my story. My story was, I was you a long time ago, and I, I had one boat, and it was just me. And then I began to catch more fish, and I began to hire more people on to, to staff the boat. And, and then I had more people than I needed for one boat, so I bought another boat because we were getting more fish. And I had a fleet of boats, and I have spent years, 45 years, doing this, this fishing industry. And now I'm, I'm wealthy and the guy looked at him and he said, you know, what, what were you intending to do after the end of all of that? He says, the businessman says, well, ultimately one day I'm just going to kick back and take it easy. And the guy looked at him and said, what do you think I was doing before you got here? <laughs> Contentment. Contentment means that I am okay. If God tells you to do something, go after it a million miles per hour. And don't quit until he tells you to stop. But contentment means I'm okay with what I've got. I'm, I'm satisfied in what I have. Knowing that if God chooses to motivate me in another way, I'll do that. Because, But godliness with contentment is a, is a huge profit. It's, it's, great, it's great gain. But then in verses 7 and 8, he says that we, we, we should be okay with not killing ourselves to get more and more and more. Verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Well, that sounds a lot like Job's situation, right? Job and all of his mess, he says, Naked I came into the world, and naked I'm going out. I ain't never seen a kid come into the world in a three-piece suit. He wasn't even wearing a diaper. That would please me. But no. Be okay with not killing yourself to get everything you want. Verse 8, he goes on and says, and having food and clothes. Be, be content. Paul, Paul knew what it felt like to be without food. He knew what it felt like to be without clothes. He knew what it felt like to be without a home. You know, a lot of times we do homeless ministry here and I, I want to restore dignity in people who are without because I recognize that, that, that you don't, not having a home don't mean you're going to hell, right? 
Sometimes I think we equate poverty with lostness, and it's not. Poverty just means I ain't got something right now that I need, right? And so to restore dignity, oftentimes I'll say to a person who's homeless, you know what, it's okay, Jesus, he didn't have a home either. You realize that Jesus was homeless. He said the foxes have holes and the birds have, have nests. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. It's, it's okay. Sometimes sin can lead us to bad stewardship and therefore we've squandered what we needed. Let me just say this. You can't go up to Philadelphia and do this thing. Come on. Come on. You can't blow on this. And then get mad when the house note comes up and you ain't got no money for it. You feel me? <laughs> right? I mean, you got to be responsible with it. Sometimes we're irresponsible with this. And then whenever this runs out, for some reason, we've been irresponsible with this and that runs out and then we get mad at him. And say, God, how come you're not providing? You're not providing for me. Well, you ate out 73 times this week. <laughs> what do you mean? You, you, you bought them shoes, you know you, had, you got plenty of shoes, you didn't need that pair of shoes, right? You burned the road up when you, you know you didn't have enough gas money. You know what I'm talking about. This is learned, don't kill yourself to get more things and oftentimes the more things that, that we don't need. Verses nine and 10, he gives a warning of riches robbing you away from, from what's most important. He says, but they that will be rich. I think I explained that a little bit in the beginning. Those who choose to be rich, purposely, my goal is to be rich. That kind of idea. Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob for you younger guys, right? Money, 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 money. You know? They that be desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned me. And most of you guys know the story and I'm not going to just go into all the details of it because it embarrasses me. And anyway, years ago, whenever we took a vacation to Florida, uh, my brother has a boat and we were in this little cove area and we thought we had anchored it down. We were going to get out and we we're going to walk around and, and, and just kind of enjoy the sights and, and, and play in the water. And, and my brother Bodie says, I'm going to walk around the, the corner here, just keep an eye on the boat, make sure the boat doesn't go anywhere. And he goes and we get caught up doing what we're doing. And, and listen, guys, there's a couple of things you need to know about me. If my feet don't touch in the water, I got a problem. And in most cases, I can handle it, you know. If I can't see to my feet when I'm in the water, problem number two. Because I don't care if the water's this big, Jaws is coming to kill me. Okay? It's just the way it is. I don't say, if some up here, maybe it's a childhood problem, I don't know, but I've got to fix that. So he goes off and, and, and we're playing and having a good time. And I look out and, and the boat is, it was this big while ago, but it's this big now. And it's just getting, it's getting further and further away. And I tell Laura, we got to go get the boat. This is, they left it in my charge. I, and I go out there swimming and I'm swimming and I'm tired and I'm scared. And the monster's under me. And so I start to drown. <laughs> It's no joke. And my hero comes to my rescue, Laurie. She's chew, chew, chew. She comes out there and she says, you idiot. <laughs> and snatches me up 
she's swimming back and then all of a sudden I'm just kind of like, oh God, help us both going backwards. And then, then she stands up and I'm still doing this. Oh God, help me. And, and so my lesson learning from that is drowning. It's terrible. You don't want to drown. Right. And, and so that's, you know, when I read this passage, which drowned, riches, the temptations and the snare and the foolishness and the hurtful lust. Let me just say this. You ain't got to have a whole lot of money to experience that. <laughs> but you just think if, you, if your heart's not where it needs to be and you got money. Y'all ever been there? My heart wasn't right and I got some money. It's good when my heart's right and I got money because I know what to do with that money when I got it when my heart's right because my heart governs where the money goes. But when my heart ain't right, Mm. He goes on in verse 10. Notice what he says in verse 10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it, pursuit, a desire, a chasing after, which while some covet after, they've, pierced, they, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And then in verse 11, he, he changes the flow. He's given us a lecture. He's, he said, okay, guys, I understand life is tough. We need this stuff to survive. You know, the power of company don't take my love notes. They got to have that stuff to keep it on. We, we get that. But where's your heart with that? Because where your heart is with that will determine what you do with that. And then he, then he says this statement, but thou, O man of God, but you, people of God, that know the, the value of faith and finances, not just finances, it says, flee these pursuits after these things. You, you, if you make a million dollars, is a million dollars enough? F don't chase after those things. But he says, I'll show you something to chase after. And he gives, he gives the righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. He says, I, I want to I show you. Every, every one of us are chasers. Everybody in here is a chaser. You've always chased the things you want. You, you've chased the, the girl that you want. You've chased the guy that you want. You've chased the dream that you want. You've chased the thing that you want. We're all chasers. We're going to be that way. It's just the way we're made. So, so why not figure out now what to chase and the value of chasing that? He says, let me just show you something worth your time chasing after. How can I start chasing the right thing. Now we could, man, this message could be preached in a million different applications, but since we're talking about faith and finances, how can I, with my finances, learn to chase after the right thing? To give you a real quick thought before we talk about the first point, years ago, um, this is Easton was probably five years old or so, Laurie and I began to pray. Now this, this, let me just say this, this is not applicable to everybody. I totally understand that and not getting into the debate, debate of education. That's up to you and you pray and you seek the Lord and, and you do with your, what your kids, you need to do. But for us at that stage in life, we knew that in the ministry, we would be traveling we, we knew that it was going to be difficult. We, we knew that our kids needed a little bit extra in their education. We, we wanted to be able to provide for them. We felt called to be able to educate our kids. And so what we decided to do when Easton was about five years old is I did some substitute teaching in, a, in the local school. And, and man, in that, it, it really broke my heart to see what was going on in that particular school at that particular time. But I came home and I was like, Laurie, we got to, 
we got to figure out something with our kids' education. Didn't know a whole lot about this thing called homeschooling. And I wish I would have when I was in school. You mean starting school at 9.30 in your pajamas, eating a Pop-Tart, sweeping away crumbs from my paste material? Sounds like heaven on earth to me. But so we were just, we were just praying through that thing. And, and for us, we said, you know what? We feel like God has, has told us to homeschool our kids. Again, that's, that may not be for, for you. That, 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 that was just for us at that time. But this is, this is where I'm going. We knew that at that moment when we felt God say, do this, that it was going to cost that. It's, it's going to cost. We, we still pay taxes. And then on top of that, we, we buy school material. And on top of that, we, we, we have to accredit our kids that cost most of the time. And then on top of that, one of my dad's big deals, he was a sports guy, just real sports oriented. What you going to do for sports? I'm like, Dad, we got a little time, you know. Pray about it and think about it. And then we got involved with a program out of Jackson and then 14 seasons ago started our own basketball program and that cost. What we had to discern at that moment was this. We had to decide for us in that moment what was right. What you have to do with your faith and your finances is have to decide what is the right thing to do. Make, to, 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 what's, what's the definition of what's right for us? It's, it's a big thing, and, and it all depends on what your dictionary is. Now, man, I'm using some metaphorical language this morning, so you've got to hang on to the words I'm saying. What is your dictionary that helps you define what you need to do with your finances? This is, this is most of the time what it is for us. Our definition is this little thing called spur of the moment. It can be working a monthly budget, which ain't wrong. But most of the time, it's spur of the moment. I see it. I want it. I get it. And then I worry about what the consequence is later. Because who knows, Jesus may come back tomorrow, and I'm praying that, especially when I spend more money than what I should on things I shouldn't get. You know what I'm talking about? De defining what's right. And so, so what, is the, what does the scripture say? Well, Proverbs chapter 21 verse 2 says, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord ponders the heart. This is the thing. Nobody in this room, maybe a spouse, yeah, maybe the demands of kids, yeah, maybe, maybe a budget that you've said can help guide you with some of that. But, but if we're all speaking this morning, guys, your money is your money. And the fact of the matter is, if you've worked for your money, you can do with your money what you want to do with your money. It's okay, right? Why not? You've worked hard for it. This is the problem. Now, everybody listen to me, and I say this with as more love than what you could hear from the tone of my voice or the words that I speak. This is the problem. You can do with your money what you want to do with your money because you work hard for your money until what you've done with your money has left you in a bad place to where now you have to depend on other people's money. You know what I'm talking about? 
And so is it wrong to need help from others? Absolutely not. We're studying that in the book of Acts. Greg's going to preach that this coming up uh, Wednesday night. We'll hit it some more in Acts chapter 4. Great story about the church being the church. And we're helping one another and we should. We're going to continue to do that because that's God's way. But to make sure that, that I'm responsible because one day as I stand before the Lord, I'll have to be responsible. I'll have to give a response to what I've been doing. It, Paul, he uses those two words there in verse 11. He says, but, but oh, oh man of God, I'm going to show you a greater way how you should chase, forget those other things, run away from them and run to righteousness and godliness. What's my dictionary? I can use a lot of things and a lot of things aren't wrong to use, but the greatest thing that I, po I possibly could use is the dictionary of righteousness and godliness. Righteousness simply meaning being in the right state with or standing with. In other words, you've got good relationships that you know that you can call on at any moment and there's going to be a friendly response because the relationship is right. Righteousness can be put into two different categories, either pre-salvation or post-salvation, right? If it's pre-salvation, I need the righteousness that Jesus has made for me on the cross to be given to me so that I can be in a right standing with God the Father. On the other side, I need to live in a pattern to where I don't sin in a way unconfessed and unrepented of that offends God to where God says, okay, you got to get that right before me and you get along again. A right standing, a righteousness, living with a desire and a pattern of doing what is right. It's hard, isn't it? It's, it's real hard to, to do right consistently on purpose, but it's gotta be my dictionary to define what's right. The next is godliness, and we talked about godliness. It's a reflection of God's character in my life. You see, the trouble comes when everything else is our dictionary, but what God wants as our dictionary. And so what we need to do is we need to begin to look for a better resource of how we define what is right. What is, what is right? We live in a day and age to where we say, what's right for you and right for me may be two different things. And in certain areas of our life, that could be true. But, but in the Christian walk, this is the good thing. We both get to eat from the same table. We, we both get to enjoy the same bread. We, we both have the same source. And so my Bible, even in different translations, is still going to tell you the same thing it tells me. To love my enemy and pray for those who persecute me and despitefully use me. To go out of my way and a second, take a second mile for the person who is in need. When they need one coat, I'll give them a second coat. That kind of stuff, right? Define what is right. And when you define what is right, then decide to do something with what is right. Do something with it now. We, we've been homeschooling. That's my illustration for this morning. We've been homeschooling for 79 years. I know it's hard for you to believe, but 79 years we've been, at, and I'm just kidding. Feels like it, right? More so for Laurie, you know, I just paid for it. She's a smart one in the group. So we, 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 we said, is this right for us? And then we said, that's right for us. Then we had to decide what to do with that. And so 
That meant for us in that moment to choose material and choose a structure. And, and basically what I'm saying is, is we couldn't just say, okay, this is what we're going to do and that's all we're going to do because otherwise I would have kids that are uneducated. Right? I had to say, you know what, this is what we're going to do. They're not going to watch Jimmy Neutron all day. I don't like Jimmy Neutron either. Not going to do that, but, but they're going to get up. They're going to get dressed. They're going to, they're, going to, they're going to get their schoolwork out. They're going to finish their schoolwork. They're going to do it in a timely fashion. We're going to make sure they're not skimming through their work. That, that, that they've tried it before. I'll let them confess their own sins. But um, there was a few times to where we went back to the workbooks and we saw there was pages that didn't have answers in them. And then a few hours later, they got allergic to pages without answers in them. You know what I'm saying? I believe in capital punishment in my house. So um, we had to make a decision, that action, to act, to act out on. This is, this is a problem, I think, with, I don't know about you, but with me, I can have a lot of ideas. I can go ahead and define and, and, and decide, but, but then I, there's a lot of times I falter on the next step, taking the action. I don't want to do that, especially when I know what God's told me to do. I want to, I want to act out in that. This, this is what Paul says to Timothy. The next two words that are in that string of words, he says, but follow after faith and love. I've defined what is right. Now I am deciding to do something with that right. And both of these words are words defined as actions. Faith, faith is, is not just this mystical feeling that I get on the inside when I believe that God has done great things for me. We sing these songs, we claim these words, we read these verses, we claim these verses and it wells up on the inside of us and we feel so good about it and that's not wrong, that's right, that's the good thing there, but, but faith is more than just that. Faith is more than just me saying, I hear it, I see it, I believe it, I accept it, I receive it, but I'm gonna do something with it. James says this in James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. That's finality there, right? It is, it is dead. Faith, trusted obedience in Romans 1.17. The just shall live by their faith. In other words, I'm living out my lifestyle based and defined by the faith that I have in Christ. But then he uses the word love. Love. Love again is is a word of action. Husbands, look at me real quick. If you use the word love and it has no action behind it, you in trouble. You in trouble. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone you love and they said to you, don't just tell me. Y'all, you have been in that conversation. Show me. Show me you love me. Why? Because love is not just words. It's it's action. There's got to be something behind that. Something to do. God is, is love. What has he done with his love? But God demonstrated his love toward us. While we were sinners, Christ died on the cross for God so loved the world that he gave. Every time you read of God being a loving God, Jeremiah 31, 3, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. There is an action statement behind that word love. Because he is with his love doing something. Once you, once you decide, define what is right for you to do with your money, you make a decision 
to act out on that and what filters that, what motivates that, what gives me grace in all of that, what makes sure that this lasts more than what it should last, like loaves and fish, is when I exercise faith and love. Faith and love. What, what have you decided to do with it? You have to decide. Let me say this too. Most of the time we try to escape making a decision and being indecisive is a decision. Y'all still with me? This is the last thought. Deciding what to do with what's right. But then lastly, choosing to do that for a long time. Define what's right for you to do with your money. Act out on that. Get a plan. Apply the plan. Do it well. Do it right. And choose to do it for as long as God tells you to do it. Do it with the intention that you're going to do it for the rest of your life. Choose to do it for a long time. The fact of the matter is, any of us can do any good thing for a moment. You can do a good thing one time. The question is not, can you do a good thing one time? Can you do a good thing multiple times, in a row, consistently? Man, if, that, if I just had the answer to that, that'd fix a whole lot of my problems, right? Well, how, how does Paul deal with that? He's got two more words for us. He says, patience and meekness, right? Now, follow after patience and meek. Patience, man, that's a hard thing to have, right? Well, it, it depends on who it is, I guess. We, we can be a little more patient with people that we want to be patient with, but the people that we don't want to be patient with, man, we can run out of patience real quick, Right? Patience, it's just the idea of, of, of with love and kindness endure longer than what you really want to endure. Patience isn't patience until you feel like you ain't got no more patience. That's when patience really becomes patience because for you it's just been, you've been doing your thing and all of a sudden now I don't want to do that. That's when you have to say patience starts here. I guarantee you, if you'll learn that simple principle, relationships will last longer. Your pursuit of, of holiness, virtue, purity, those things will last longer in your life if you let patience begin then and not think that patience began way earlier. Patience, but then he uses the word meekness here. And, and, and the word meekness just simply means to be teachable. Letting that time, that exercising of time, I'm going to commit, I'm choosing to do this for a long time and I'm going to be patient through this. But as I am patient through this, I'm going to allow the Lord to teach me in the midst of this. And when you are taught something, if it's real, if it's, if it's, if it's of any value to you, it's going to change you. You're not going to... Respond, act, continue the way that you've been responding, acting, and continuing. It's teaching. It's You're growing not just in your knowledge but in your application and you're making adjustments and you're choosing to go for a long time. But as you go, you're, you're adapting, you're tweaking, you're making it better, right? But you, people of God, flee the pursuits of the thing of this world and follow after righteousness Godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. How long will you choose to do the right thing? Now, that's, that's applicable in any part of your life, but if we're just going to stick with our story, 
How long are you going to choose to do what's right with this stuff? How are you defining what's right and how you deal with this? Are you deciding to do the right thing with this? And do you choose to, if you've got that down, do it for a long time? Last Sunday, I felt like the Holy Spirit led me to, to make a decision to kind of change, alter the course of what we were going to do with this fishbowl and this money up front. And so what we did last week, and I feel like we're going to do it again this week, and we're going to do it again next Sunday. And I don't know. God may be doing something to where this is a Sunday morning thing. I don't, I don't know yet. But with this money in this bowl, this bowl, y'all, I put it over there, and I was going to put it down there, and y'all during the re response time came up here and did it anyway. Bunch of rebellious people. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I loved it. Anxious to do the right thing. What I'm going to do if this doesn't interfere with anybody is I'm going to take this and I'm going to put it right here. And I, I still want to give you the opportunity if you need to come to the altar and pray to come to the altar and pray and do business as you need to do business. But this bowl is going to be right here. And here it is, guys, if you need this this morning, if you need it. Say, Andy, my, my ends aren't meeting right now. I've made some bad stewardship decisions, but I'm willing and ready to make some good stewardship decisions. I'm defining what's right. I'm deciding to follow through, and I'm going to do it a long time. But right now, I just need some help. People last Sunday poured into this bowl at the response to your need being met. This bowl is here. Ain't nobody bird dog in this bowl. If you need to come and get from this bowl, you come and get from this bowl, whether it's during the response time or afterwards. If you feel like God's leading you to give into this bowl, this bowl is here, this bowl is used for this. If you want to, if, if you want to give in this bowl, you can come and give in this bowl. Because this bowl is to help meet needs. Thank you, brother. That's what it's there for. So is that you? Is that, how, how are you going to respond? Uh, last week we, we talked about our talents. Our talents, according to Matthew 25, verse 27, is, is money. How, where can I invest my, my, my most? Two, the guy with five and the guy with two, they, they went to the ushery and they, they invested. What's the greatest investment? I'm going to tell you, the greatest investment in my life is you. It's not things. It's you. Man, I got food. I got clothes. I'm so glad you got them too. But you, you, you who I love. You who I want to invest in. So maybe that's you this morning to make a decision like that.